You're listening to The Hour with Resident Advisor. The Hour! This, this is this The is hour. hour. You're listening to The Hour. This is The Hour. With Resident Advisor. Hello and welcome to The Hour, RA's blend of documentaries, discussion, interviews and lots of other things besides. I'm Martha, producer of The Hour, here to guide you through this month's episode. This is my first time bringing you the podcast straight from my bedroom as we navigate the coronavirus pandemic. I'm feeling very blessed to still be able to bring you this programme and hopefully offer some form of distraction or a space for the conversations that you want to hear during this period. Let us know what you'd like us to cover on The Hour. I always want to hear from you. Send us a message on Twitter at Resident Advisor. This edition is a tribute to the much-loved music-making software, FL Studio, also known as Fruity Loops. This digital audio workstation, or DAW, was developed in the late 90s in Belgium by a company with its roots in gaming called ImageLine. The software later became integral to the development of Britain's underground music scene, as producers like Dexplicit, Darky Freaker and Plastician, amongst others, used Fruity Loops to create iconic instrumentals that galvanised grime and dubstep. The programme has gone on to receive global recognition from super producers like Metro Boomin, Lex Luger, Avicii and DJ Mustard. I don't make beats myself, but I could hear the world's soft spot for Fruity and wanted to celebrate it and to get a better understanding of its legacy and impact on the music I love. I know most of you are stuck at home right now and perhaps you're thinking about having a go at making some music. Fruity Loops could be a good place to start. Earlier this year, I spent some time with people who are passionate about FL. Over the next hour, you'll hear thoughts and stories connected to Fruity Loops from Pearson Sound, Mushimo and Blacktown. I was gonna say good evening. The first step in my celebration of FL was to see it in action. Before London went into lockdown, I went to Emma's home studio to see how she uses Fruity. Emma is an artist, DJ and FL fan who also heads up Producer Girls, an initiative that encourages more young women to take up electronic music production. So I have come to South London to meet Emma uh, in your home studio right now. Thanks so much for inviting me in. Um, I'm very excited to see how you do things in FL. Well, lovely to see you, Martha. Thank you for coming. And um, yeah, ready to reveal some trade secrets. Okay. Uh, (laughs) So you have just loaded up Fruity Loops. Yeah. Is this like something that you do every day? How connected are you to FL? At the moment, I'm very connected. Um, I've been seeing a lot of it and actually had a bit more time to kind of explore more of it as well recently as well. Wicked and when did you first come into contact with Fruity Loops? I can remember it very clearly actually. My friend Paul kind of said look just use Fruity Loops it will get you started quickly. I went around to his house first just to have a look on his computer and um, he literally loaded up Drum Mega Pack 2 which some people might have um, heard of it's kind of like quite a a popular free drum sample pack um, and he kind of went to make a cup of tea and when he came back I'd already got a loop going which he was like what the hell is that and I was like Victorian grime because it was like a bassoon in like the sequencer and like a clap and a gunshot and then we just couldn't stop laughing and then I was kind of like oh my god this is actually fun like and you can just invent things Im- immediately and he put a crack copy on my laptop and then when I graduated and I wanted to kind of continue taking it seriously, I, I asked for it for Christmas. Um, the kind of cheapest version is like 70 quid, I think. And then, yeah, the, re- the rest is history, I suppose. OK. And um, recently, what have you been using Fruity Loops to make? The last thing that I've been using it for is um, a short film soundtrack. And I've successfully done it and it's been approved and everything and, and submitted. And the director's very happy with it. 
there was an initial point even though I knew it was capable of doing it of me thinking um, is this possible because everything you hear is logic or pro tools like I did a short course at Goldsmiths and kind of every five minutes the teacher would keep, keep turning to me and saying sorry what is it you use again FL Studio well I don't know how to do it in that but um yeah oh, very interesting talk to me at the end about FL Studio and I'd just be kind of like oh god not this for the rest of my life. With the film soundtrack did you feel like you were able to do everything that you wanted to do within FL? Yes definitely I think the thing that I was initially I guess concerned about was that the way that I mix my tunes um and then hand it over to mastering is fine if you're kind of working with the person mastering it for radio and, and you know for Spotify and all that but when you um, have to deliver WAVs and the new specifications um, for a film score it's um, I had to basically educate myself on, on what the hell to do for that because the levels are a lot different to how I'd mix it normally so I just had to make sure that I was checking the kind of internationally recognised standards for you know where things should be hitting and and once you kind of debunk it it's really not that complicated it was only a 20 minute short film so i, I can't say it's the lord of the rings but um who knows <laughs> soon come lord of the rings scored in fl studio <laughs> um so are you up for showing us something that you've been working on a project file in fruity loops yes um definitely um yeah this is actually a mixture of my korg mini log as well um and um, some MIDI um, VSTs. Um, I have actually used um, some uh, like a couple of stock VSTs that come within FL Studio because I just my hunch is that not many people would. So that kind of is a competitive advantage <laughs> rather than a weakness. Um, and also, you know, I'm not the kind of person that sits for hours online looking up VSTs and talking about them. So if I like the sound of it, that's it. And then I've also got another another kind of freeware VST in there that um, is very much like... It, I basically found it when I Googled 10 years ago how to sound like the Doctor Who theme tune. <laughs> Lo-fi sounds like Do- Doctor Who because I just wanted to do like Delia Derbyshire, like spacey stuff. Yeah, so I don't know, shall I play a bit? Yeah. Okay. first person to hear that actually it sounds wicked another fruity loops banger on the way (laughs) (laughs) thanks for sharing that um would you talk me through what you've got laid out um on the screen there yeah sure so the thing that i like about um this kind of sequence of you is the fact that um you can layer kind of midi audio and automation all in the same window like what i've noticed with other doors when i've kind of had a bit of a gander is that Things aren't immediately, or to my mind, as accessible. Just play pattern two. Oh yeah, that's like a MIDI little synth going on. Um, yeah, I just find it easier to keep the drums separate and um, keep the melody separate. Um, and then you can see underneath um, the kind of swelling um, synth that was kind of pulsing in the background comes in here and gets louder. That's off the Korg synthesizer and I recorded it kind of straight in in audio, um, kind of setting the tempo on the synthesizer to the same as in the workspace. Um, and, And the reason why I kind of did it in audio as opposed to MIDI is because I just think that that kind of human touch of actually, um, uh, kind of twisting the filter um it's a little bit more responsive and it's not something that i've 
historically done. It's I've always just clicked in think like my entire Blue Gardens album was basically clicked in with a mouse, um, which is fine, but it, that gets really boring. Yeah, that's hard work. Yeah, I think I was going through a person, <laughs> some kind of um, <laughs> strange kind of like um, phase when I was doing that, but I don't know where that patience went. <laughs> I think it's because I was working like 12 like twelve hours a day and I just battened down the hatches when I got in and I was just like, click, click, click. <laughs> what else do you like about using Fruity Loops? It really comes into its own when you're under pressure. I've always had a creative idea, some kind of surge of like emotion or inspiration when it arrives and you just want to sit down. It will facilitate that and it, you don't end up just sitting staring at a screen forgetting why you even turned it on. It's just very accessible, really. Piss and Sound joins me in the studio. Thank you for coming to visit. Cool, thanks for having me. Um, tell us what you love about Fruity Loops. Well, I just, I just basically can't stop using it. Um, I first started using it in 2001, 2002. And over the years, I've, you know, tried to use Ableton, tried to use Logic, but I just keep on coming back to Fruity Loops. I think, I think it's a muscle memory thing. I just know how to use all the functions. I've got all the shortcuts. And if I have an idea come into my head, I can basically get it down in some form, you know, in a matter of minutes, instead of, you know, firing up an unfamiliar software and just becoming this laborious process. So, yeah, for me, it's a case of speed, sort of, ease of creativity not messing around with anything too technical i don't understand and just yeah getting your ideas down quick because so often you just need to capture that initial magic and if you spend too long on it that can disappear super quick and how did you come into contact with fruity loops in the first place i first used it because my brother he had it on his computer i'm not really sure why and when he was away i'd sort of go into his room and use his computer and start messing around um then I don't think I used it for a couple of years and then it wasn't until maybe 2004 or 5 I just started to use it completely and yeah I'm still using it now and uh, I'm still a bit of a Luddite really I'm using I think version 8 <laughs> and it must be now on like version 20 or something so yeah I'm a bit stuck I'm a bit stuck in my ways so which productions of yours were created in FL L- literally everything yeah the whole the whole lot um, I mean, my process has changed a bit, whereas now I'll sort of do mixing separately to the sort of more creative part. So I'll export stems and then, you know, mix in Logic and whatever. And that's not that's not to say anything about the sound of Fruity Loops. I just kind of like separating the process out. Um, but yeah, literally everything else would have been created in Fruity. Wow, major. <laughs> How intrinsic do you think this software has been to the development of the UK's underground music scene? Well, I think it's, yeah, totally crucial. Um, you know, from my experience in the sort of dubstep scene, it was definitely the software that everyone used. You know, someone like Scream was a big user of it back in the day. Um, uh, one thing I was thinking about was just the default tempo is 140 and fruity. I'm, I'm not really sure why. Maybe like back from the trance days, people making hard trance, they thought 140 would be a good place to start. But yeah, I think that's actually quite significant. I was reading um, an interview with Wiley and he was actually talking about that as well. You open up fruity and it's straight to 140. And I think that's why actually the, the music from grime to dubstep has been at that tempo is because of Fruity Loops so I'd say that's pretty significant. Yeah that's crazy to think. But I'd, I'd say impact wise as well I guess maybe there's a lineage of people passing down you know installation files someone's you know older brother like myself or you know siblings are giving them software or passing around cracked installers and whatever. I think you know that could have something to do with it as well and not to mention that Fruity Loops as well was significantly cheaper. If you if you were going the legit route, you could spend about I think hundred pounds and you'd have it for life. Whereas you know Logic I think must have been three or four and Ableton, which is relatively recent, is still a couple of hundred quid. So yeah, for hundred pounds you can basically have a legit copy for life. 
in just the whole interface of the program you sort of open it up and everything's quite sort of bright and colorful and almost quite intuitive and sort of stripped back and sure it has more powerful features that are maybe you know, slightly lurking in the background but on the sort of immediacy of it you can open up the drum sequencer you know get a rhythm going within seconds um, which you can't really from my experience do as easily in other software uh, so I think for drum programming yeah Fruity Loops is still pretty unparalleled in just the way it works I wanted to get a better understanding of how FL became so integral to the development of the UK's underground sound. Blackdown, aka Martin Clark, is a self-described bass music enthusiast who has observed the culture unfold through his blog and through his label Key Sound. What was your first introduction or meeting of Fruity Loops? It was probably early, early dubstep producers and grime producers using it. My introduction was probably the music they made, but as I dug deeper, they were using it, and particularly Banger and Scream leaps out as the guys that were using it. So you ask, who are these guys? What's that music? And then what are their names? And then how did you do that? <laughs> when they came through, they were a different generation to the guys who were forming dubstep, um, and they had a different tool, which was Fruity Loops. Mm. So what was the process from hearing their music and figuring out how they made it? That's sort of telling the beginnings of my story of exploring this dark garage Croydon sound. So particularly that's not especially tied to Fruity Loops, but it's a process of me finding records from one distributor that was doing this. I went to a photo shoot 20 years ago, this April, um, and met a bunch of the producers that went on to be the founders of Dubstep. And so specifically with Benga and Scream, I remember their records appearing at Plastic People and Velvet Rooms um, and in Hatcher sets and everyone was like, what is that? And the first time I heard that, Hatcher was like, I've got these two new guys. You don't understand, Martin. Uh, and that followed through and obviously they made a huge proliferation of, of music quickly and easily in extremely large volumes of it. Much of it, which is lost now lost to hard drive crashes. But then I specifically went down and interviewed them for Mixmag and that was the first interviews they ever did uh, in the cafe next to Big Apple Records. And so that was kind of began that narrative of learning about how they, the tools they had and uh, the sound they were making, which was kind of getting garage wrong in an interesting way. Okay. Um, could you help me get an idea of like how Fruity Loops got introduced to the scene? Like how did people get their hands on it? Where did you get it from at that time? Yeah, to understand the impact Fruity Loops had, you need to understand the conditions in which it emerged. The way people got information in those times 20 years ago <laughs> was different this is a world that has no smartphones has no 3g or 4g next to no broadband outside of universities um and people could buy dial up at home this kind of modem thing that made a noise that then like sounded like you were making a phone call it was breaking and then it connected your computer in a way that is so slow people wouldn't accept now <laughs> so the way people transferred information was regularly by burning CDs, which even they've become basically obsolete, CDRs. And even that was, you had to buy a CDR player. So it wasn't an easy transfer of software. Around that time, the backstory was mostly to make music, you needed an expensive physical studio. It was possible to run software, that Fruit Loops didn't start that. There was Cubase, there was Logic, but they were hard, complicated programs. They were not forgiving to a beginner. They were expensive. They were high-end pieces of software. And there were other ones before this, but generally they weren't easy to distribute. And so most people had to get a few thousand quid together and build a kind of little studio with a mixing desk and maybe a PC or maybe not, and buy, master one of these harder tools, Logic, Cubase, Pro Tools, all these things. And there was a big barrier to entry. And people used to genuinely rent studios for a day and make a tune and go home. And that would be like hundreds of pounds. And so around those times, email and the internet started to emerge and peer-to-peer -peer networks started to emerge so that if you did have access to a slightly better than dial-up or you could be bothered to wait the hours, you could download cracked software. And this is a kind of before after of studio production, I think. Um, if you think of the big plush, like 80s massive mixing desks and then slightly more home studios, However, Jungle was made and some of those things. And then as you move through, suddenly you've got this proliferation of peer-to-peer -peer technology that is fundamentally free. 
And on those cracked torrents and downloads, you could download um, music software like Fruity Loops. And people did. That's certainly how I came across uh, software like that for the first time. So there's a whole thread there about the democratization of software of Fruity Loops that suddenly going from this big barrier financially requiring a space, requiring expertise, requiring knowledge to do it, to being anyone can do it. And that has a bunch of different consequences, but that's kind of what happened around those times as the internet became started to become a thing, started to become something that moved out of academic circles and so on to being something that everybody had. That's around the times I first discovered email. <laughs> no one... It seems very strange now. I'm yeah, sure. that's a funny sentence. Yeah, that was that was my life before email and life after. <laughs> so, Fruity Loops was a bit more accessible than other ways of making music. Um, what do you think its impact has been on the UK's underground music scene? I think if you look at it as a system, what probably happened was more people got a chance to try, and that probably meant there was more music, and on average, more of it was average. In other words, there was probably quite a lot of bad music made and quite a lot more good music and quite a lot of in the middle and that's kind of a cool thing because everybody gets a chance to try um, and from that the people that enjoyed it or or productive and creative emerged but I also think it probably meant there's a shift in society um, so that people who didn't need to spend a thousand quid or for those that that was a barrier then they could try. Everybody could try. Um, eventually, if you could find a way from a CDR or a peer-to-peer download, you could try it. If you could get a 250-quid PC and some speakers and just find out if you wanted to be a music producer. And even to this day, when people say, I want to be a DJ, I want to be a producer, I'll say to them, try with the easiest stuff, figure out if you actually like the experience, then, then work towards the harder stuff. Don't start with logic or... <laughs> Pro Tools, <laughs> right? And so, I did mean I, it. Probably did mean that there was a lot of um, uh, music made, and uh, a lot of it necessarily wasn't entirely all that good. Um, some of that good can be bad, if you get what I mean. And bad can be good. So, a lot of grime was what um, professional studio engineers would describe as badly made, but actually sounded really amazing and different. But just didn't fit rules of expensive software. Right. They just made the stuff they wanted to make. And there's a lot of it made. A lot of it was throwaway. And a lot of it emerged that was unbelievably creative. And that's, I think, because communities maybe that didn't have a chance to access this for whatever reason, studio software, the tools to make music, suddenly had a chance. Uh, it was democratised. So you mentioned Benger and Scream as the first people that you kind of clocked were using Fruity Loops. Um, after that, who were the kind of pioneers or the people that really ran with this programme to move things along? I think all of Dubstep and probably most of Grime started out on either Fruity Loops or Reason. Um, the difference between those two, they were both much cheaper to buy outright, but they're near free to get hold of, easier to master. But Fruity Loops was extensible. So you could add VSTs. It sounds nerdy, but the difference is you're not lit. As soon as you get a copy of it, you can add other capabilities to Fruit Loops. And the reason you couldn't do that, it, it provided you a bunch of capabilities, but you, it was constrained. You couldn't add other effects to it. Um, so, I, and I wonder if Fruit Loops had an advantage there. As a trade-off, it means sometimes it ran slower, but um, you could keep extending it by things made by other companies and so on, keep going. And that's just another creative avenue. I think some of the Grime guys started with pretty impressive studios. And there's a kind of a bit of a reverse myth about some of them. People always said, oh, Dizzy, Dizzy did this on this or that. Like, Dizzy was using logic in school. So I've talked to his teacher about it. So, you know, he was able to master that. Um, and while he famously used hardware, um, perhaps because he had access to the budgets to buy it. Um, but I'm sure a lot of, of Grime producers used Fruit Loops um, and progressed through it. I, think, I bet a lot of, of dubstep and grime came through it that way. How would you say Fruity Loops made electronic music more accessible to produce? I think Fruity Loops gave anyone who wanted a chance to make music. Anyone who wanted to try and find out if they liked the feeling of the journey and the destination of making music, they could try it at very low cost or low friction. Um, it didn't bewilder them with choices, too many choices. And it didn't um, uh, burden them with cost or other things you had to buy 
or rent like space, hardware and things. You could do it in your bedroom or in your kitchen or wherever. And that's profound. Like that, that, that is a bit of a before after in music production. Do you think there's any significance in the software running better on like a PC? They don't even release an official Mac version until 2019 or something crazy. So the fact that it works better on PC is probably only significant because it, insofar as the opposite is not true. If the opposite were true, that it only worked well or at all on Mac, I think it would not have had a democratizing effect. Because if your laptop costs 1000 2000 3000 then it's not going to reach people in all the different parts of society. So it's less that it didn't work well on Mac or not or wasn't available, more that it did on basically PCs are commoditized, right? They've had a race to the bottom on price. So everybody can buy one. That was the platform that did that. Apple didn't do that. So it was the fact that it was there, a bit like Android now. Everyone can get to it. And um, that made it accessible. Otherwise, it would have been a friction. And just a friction that would have prevented it being impactful to the societal change. People just would not have, en masse, they wouldn't have tried it. Um, But I'm sure they knew that. Back with Emma in her home studio, we talked more about bringing Fruity Loops into the workshop she organises for young women. So when we started um, Producer Girls, it wasn't available for um, Mac, it was only in beta. Um, and a lot of creative people that kind of turned up were all on Macs, so it was a little bit like, oh God, you know, like here we are trying to like spread the good word of FL Studio and it's not quite on Mac yet. So we, we did also teach Ableton as well. But yeah, it's quite interesting actually. I think people who apply, I know for a fact that some people that apply to the FL Studio one, did so because of the culture around it and producers that they liked that have used it like pjam for example in dexplicit people actually applied because they like their tunes and they know that they're made on it so it does have that certain amount of like mystique around it i think that people or kind of i think people warm to it quite quite well so before a producer girl session how does it work between all the teachers how do you decide who's going to teach what so Dex Flissett and I use FL full-time. Iconica, she started on it and now she's on Ableton. And I don't know what PJAM, I think he might be on Logic. Sorry if I'm wrong, Sean. Um, but he started obviously years on um, FL Studio. So Dex and PJAM were on drums. I was like, yeah, 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 I'll do, um, I'll do melodies. And I was like, yeah, well, I'll just teach Citrus. It's like a VST with an FL. It, actually, my first release was like all Citrus. Um, Can we hear a bit of citrus? Yeah. (laughs) I quite like the bells on here. It kind of reminds me of Metro Boomin. I'm not going to lie, I have used it in my um, tracks. He does use FL. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It has this, I don't know what it is, whether it's like the sound engine or what, but it, it just have this real like, just a nice sound everything has a nice sound to it um so yeah you were telling me about how things work in a producer girls session the key message is like it is easy like i don't know what this whole culture is of like let's make out this is really complex and you need lots of money and um you know and you're doing this wrong and all this kind of elitism that seems to be across every industry not just music but um, the main premise of, of the, the workshop was to say you could actually make a hit tune in an afternoon. You know, many people have. And then what we realised from our like, kind of um, the way that we all use FL is we all use it completely differently. So I'd say, yeah, well, just try to do that. No, I just click that. And then, you know, then it's just there, isn't it? And Dex would be like, no way. I didn't never seen that before. And then like, I'd be like looking at some, like he'd show me something and I'd be like, bloody hell, I only know one tenth of this program. Um, but luckily that's all you need to, to know to actually do something. So you touched on um, like elitism and that's like rife in electronic music. Mm. Um, why do you think FL sometimes people look down on it? I was talking to Dex about this the other day because for some reason we've 
it come, it's come up quite a lot recently and from his point of view when he started producing grime and kind of inventing it as a genre when he was like 15 um they they he, him and his kind of peers didn't have any no one was sharing knowledge and um they just kind of got on with it and and found that software and um and kind of taught themselves so he was saying that you know in the start he didn't know about mix downs and stuff like that but so he didn't even mix down pow he said um he just kind of exported it and that was that um and and then he when that kind of surge happened um there was some of the kind of old guard who were quite um a bit snobby about it so but he said it wasn't the point he wants to get across is that it's not to do with the capabilities of the software it was because he was they you know they were like novices basically at that point obviously um like making some of the most culturally important music that we've seen and i think there's a bit of an overhang of of this idea that it's not taught really in in courses it's always logic and it's always ableton or pro tools and there's a bit of ignorance around it. People are saying that the, the kind of um, establishment, kind of the privileged kind of music tech people, they wouldn't have come up via that route because they wouldn't have had the same challenges or the same determination to create something for themselves, like a scene. So they've been watching from the sidelines, kind of uh, turning their nose up at it without actually exploring the software or reading the manual or knowing that it is far more um accessible and and at least you know if not more capable as the other doors i do think it's a kind of um not only a kind of privilege based criticism but it willfully ignores the cultural impact of the software around the globe everything that it's done um particularly for young men as well as um you know the entire user base who've made some of the most important music of, of the last, you know, 20 years. And um, to, still, to still carry those views in 2020, it's just kind of like, you know, you need to kind of um, log off really and, and, and have a word with yourself because um, what, why are you even listening to music kind of thing? Like if you're going to just go around talking about the gear and not the people behind it and the ideas and, and the impact. And you mentioned like international artists using Fruity Loops to create music. Who are some people that you like or some producers or some songs that you like that have used FL? So the the obvious, well, I suppose the obvious favourite of mine is Jay-Z and Kanye um, Paris. Um, that was made on FL and I mean, that's one of my favourite tunes of all time. Um, Young Chop, I know, uses it and the Young Chop Snare. Um, are you familiar? Are you familiar with the Young Chop no. Snare? Let me just find it because I think it's uh, important. And I have to say, I got this for my Konica. <laughs> the snare. <laughs> <laughs> that snare kind of makes me laugh so much because it it sounds so amazing. It's got like uh, it's got every kind of frequency in it. I presume Fruit Loops has got something to do with it. I don't know for sure, but I know that Young Chop uses it, and that's called the Young Chop Snare. Um, but that's the kind of snare that wherever you are in London at any time, you can hear it because <laughs> it just carries on the airwaves. Um, but obviously big fan of Metro Boomin', Soldier Boy, let's not forget, used FL. And I think Scream Midnight Request Line deserves an honourable mention because I remember hearing that that was made on FL and that was like, okay, well, yeah, that's a no brainer then I'll, I'll use that because that's legit, you know. Moving more to think about specifically the UK underground music scene, what would you describe Fruit Loops' impact as? I guess its impact on the the underground scene um, is probably the fact that things that have been historically underground have actually made a transition to the top of the charts. Um, for example, Dave, um, who I know from his Instagram stories uses FL Studio, which was um, 
a great day when I saw that <laughs> um, and and I think uh, I suppose the many of the principles that I kind of spoke about earlier just in terms of the 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 access and the um, I mean the fact that it opens at 140 bpm that's what's been mentioned quite a lot like Dex mentioned it I was you know obviously invented Victorian grime <laughs> which actually that has not aged well I don't, I don't think I, I think I should stop going on about that um but that was you know it opens at 140 and that's why people kicked it off at 140 and then we got had dubstep and and everything like that and um so I, I do think that it and also the way that drums are programmed as well because it's so easy to go in and edit drums like incredibly easy um in the sequencer um you you just you can just literally delete the whole thing and recreate something and then you know listening on a loop i think a lot of the kind of the groove that's emerged um and then you know looking at uk funky and, and and when that came up and everything i think it was quite obvious that fl studio was kind of behind it all really because it, it has this every, the music has a sense of urgency i would hope that as the new generation is coming through that this snobbery will disappear completely Mm. Are there any producers maybe that you've worked with at Producer Girls or any just young up and coming people who are using FL that you're particularly excited about? Actually, yeah, Teplis, who is on my label, um, Pastel Prism, she started producing in one of the Producer Girls workshops. She's fully FL Studio. She actually won a competition um, that we ran. Um, to make a tune um, which is how she got the full copy of the software she's um, a singer predominantly because this is a lot of problem with like especially um, female singers I think where they don't want to have to rely on a male producer to execute their vision I think she felt like she'd worked before with other people and really wanted ownership over the whole thing and I think that's what FL's kind of allowed her to do as well like and um, she's done this like we we, we had a release out in uh, the end of last year but it's kind of like sparse minimal and yeah I think FL has lent itself very well to her her sound as well I stare at you sleeping your fluttering eyes I don't want to wake you It's not time to cry You picture me dancing In your broken dream You think of me say as well um here's pearson sound in terms of impact i forgot about the impact on uk music um a lot of the stock sounds in fruity loops are actually ended up in some really iconic records like the i think it's the sort of hip-hop drum kit it's described as a lot of those sounds are in tons of grime records tons of dubstep records there's some of the sort of weird vocal samples they have in there as well have ended up in you know countless records as well so yeah just the very stock sounds have actually shaped really important uk music are there any in any of your productions i've definitely used some of the drums at some stage and maybe some of the vocoder sort of they had a funny little text-to-speech plugin that you could use and make some sort of weird sounds There was a time when Fruity Loops, it wasn't really taken seriously, you know, it's seen as a bit of a joke program in like pro audio world, which is not necessarily a world you need to like <laughs> listen to. But 
yeah, it, I think it was seen as a bit of a cartoony sort of amateur program. Um, and I think that's partly why they changed their name to FL Studio to make it seem a bit more like professional software. And even today, people still, you know, diss the sound quality of FL. They, you know, say it doesn't sound as good as other software, which just isn't really true. You know, I've done tests myself and you know, depending on how you're using it, it if you're just exporting the same audio through FL, it sounds, to my ears anyway, pretty much the same as the other main software out there. So I think it's had a bit of an unfair reputation for being a sort of kids' production tool. When, as we've as we've discussed so much, you know, amazing music has come out of it. I think that proves more than ever it's obviously what what you do with this, the equipment you use, rather than you know what people other people think about it. So we've heard a bit about the UK's scene and the impact of Fruity on the UK music scene. Um, have you made any observations about it being used globally? Um, I guess most recently I'd have noticed that a lot of the GOM producers in uh, South Africa, they seem to use Fruity as their like preferred software. I'm not really sure why. I mean, maybe it's for the same reasons as it got picked up in the UK, the fact you know, it's it's cheap. It's you can run it on a quite you know sort of rubbish computer. It doesn't really take as much processing power as some of the others. So maybe that's something to do with it. But yeah, that's one that's one part of the world I've definitely seen it being used recently. Hi, my name is Mishimo. I'm a beatmaker producer from Petermasburg, South Africa. I started using FL Studio in 2010 and I've been using FL Studio as my main door ever since. It's been an incredible journey. I've really enjoyed all of the updates so far. What made me gravitate towards FL Studio was the fact that the workflow was simple and visually um, it was easier to see. Um, and that was very important to me. That was a key feature for me because I suffer from low vision. And another thing that made me gravitate towards FL Studio is the fact that there was tons of material on, on YouTube um, that I could use and actually learn and, and, and sharpen my skill set. Um, it's been an incredible journey using this software. I really love it. Um, I encourage everyone to use it. Um, it has helped me a lot. It has helped me connect with people from all corners of the globe. And I personally feel that FL Studio was God sent. Hopefully you're feeling inspired to give FL a go. I collected up a few tips and final thoughts from our Fruity Loops fans. I would encourage anyone to try it if they can. If they're interested, if they're curious, find out if you like the journey and the destination of making music uh, without huge expense or loads of really expensive training or whatever you might want to do. Instead, just do it. I would say explore what it can do. Um yourself and and you can't learn everything that it, it does by reading the manual or looking at like really convoluted youtube tutorials like you have to literally make something like make anything um using the the sounds that are in there and then look at the effects and actually just all put them on to the max to see what they do because unless you haven't if you don't have curiosity then you will just know you will just know the basics and that's fine because you know that can give you a concise palette of like your aesthetic but I think you should be curious with it because I certainly feel like I've learned more in the last six months from it than I have in the last 12 years so um, I would say yeah spend a bit of time with it is my number one tip. I'd be interested to see if the company that makes FL is at least a bit aware of the impact they've had um, because you go on their website and you know these huge sort of Dutch trance DJs and seems quite removed from actually the the people that we consider as having made a big impact in music through using FL so it'd be nice to see if they can appreciate how important it's been and finally what is your number one tip for producing in Fruity Loops the way I see a lot of 
bits of software or music production equipment, you know, be it hardware, software, sort of drum machines and synths. I think you can see Fruity Loops as like a tool. You don't have to you don't have to love everything about Fruity Loops. You don't have to necessarily make all your music in Fruity Loops. But if you see it as a tool, if you if you like the way you can make drums in Fruity Loops, then make your drums in Fruity Loops and export them into a different program. So if you see it more as a tool rather than something you necessarily have to do everything in, um, then I think you know you can get some really good results. Because of the accessibility and, and the way that it's rose to prominence, it's got like it's almost built a community behind it on a global scale of all the fans and everything and people who probably don't even know that it, what it is, like all the fans of all the kind of the rap music that's made on it and you know the EDM a lot of people are very happy listening to those those tunes and it, it it can make a difference between a good day and a bad day and the fact that it is kind of enfranchising a more diverse range of people because of its accessibility is kind of breaking down barriers really and I think that's what it's done and and I think it a lot of popular culture can be attributed to it and and I think that the kind of innovation that comes out of it is kind of reflective of the the innovative minds that use it that aren't held back by a, a very complex looking opening screen that takes ages to load up and is very expensive um, another thing to mention is that if you do buy it it's free lifetime updates forever so it's not like you have to buy the new version that comes out and like every other kind of software that's streamed where we're just now paying till we die. Um, and I think that really, again, is quite symbolic of how they want people to, to use it without spending all their money on it as well. Thanks to all our contributors on this month's edition of The Hour. We're back next time with more documentaries, interviews and discussion. Until then, you can find our full archive of episodes at residentadvisor.net and via whichever platform you prefer to get your podcast from. Thank you for listening. <laughs>